Hello and welcome. Coming to you from the front row of an IMAX. I'm Josh. And I'm John, and I've got a big old bucket of popcorn. I hope you got a lot of butter on there. Oh, extra, for sure. Nice. Get some of that a bunch of crunch, too. That's my favorite. But this is the Geek EDC Podcast, where we dive into all things you can geek out about. And we're back again. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And I sound better, because I'm at your... I'm in the studio. Back in the studio now. Back, Correct. Back in the studio yes. again. Oh, we promised no more singing after that That's uh, 90s true. episode. I'm so sorry, guys. It's fine. Just, you know, wash your ears out, whatever. Yeah. So you're feeling better? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, obviously well enough where I'm not going to get you sick. Say, but just don't get me sick. I'm not going to. That's all I'm concerned um, about. Yeah, like I said, my son is out of school now. Officially oh, graduated right, kindergarten, yes. so that's nice. I don't have to worry about him bringing home germs from like a million other little kids. At least for the summer. And this year has been so bad. I think with quarantine and everything that happened in, in, in the like earlier years. RSV stuff. And yeah, everything. I think every doctor, everybody we've talked to, like this has been like the worst year for sickness. And of course, it's my kid's first year in school, which is typically the parent's worst year for sickness as well. Oh, so that makes sense. Quite the, uh, quite the pain. Yeah, well, hopefully you can get a little break from that through the summer. Yeah, I hope so. This, this uh, sunshine can dry out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Nothing, uh, nothing would be worse than me taking my like almost month long vacation in July, and, <laughs> and then <laughs> be being on the beach and sick, sick the whole time. That would suck. Absolutely. Uh, just uh, yeah, uh, fill up on that vitamin D. Stay healthy. That goes for everyone listening to this too. Get some exercise. Take some vitamin D. Get out in the sunshine. We mentioned in the beginning here, uh, obviously, Josh coming from you, to you from the theater, and I had a big old bucket of popcorn. And so our interest statement's a little bit shorter this time because the cinephile that I am um, and the things that I like, I'm bringing to you. And so as Josh, we're talking about, this week we're geeking out about. About our favorite and, yes, kind of some impactful movie scenes. Some yeah. of our favorite movie scenes from different movies. Yeah, there's Things no- that, like, you can, you kind of just... You know, the stand out in your mind as like, I remember like watching that and that being an impactful moment. Yeah. And there's no doubt like that kind of media, like movies in particular, like if obviously people have tattoos of them, people have mantras from movies. I mean, that it is one of those media types that really uh, leaves a lasting impact on somebody. So everybody has their favorite movies. Some people, you know, now with the rise of series and as good as series have gotten, um, I think movies are trying to keep up or in some regards, they're not doing as well. Um, you know, especially the cash cow, the Disney, you know, universe, the, the Marvel stuff, just pumping all that out, just trying to grease, you know, as much as they can out of it before it, it dies. Yeah. And, um, but there's been a lot of really good ones. There's a lot of really good ones coming out. I, uh, right. I am looking forward to Oppenheimer. I wish we had IMAX theater here. I right. mean, it is three hours long, but you know, Jeez. I think it'll be really great, you know, and that's because that's one of those scenes, you know, like that's one of those haunting things. Imagine Killian Murphy, you know, playing Oppenheimer and him saying the line that, you know, Oppenheimer's famous thing from after the, you know, the atomic bomb was tested or used or whatever. And, you know, he says he talks about the Bhavagiva or whatever, the, the Hindu yeah. religious script and says, you know, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Yeah, that's like that. That's a very iconic kind yeah. of thing there in history for sure. So, and I look forward to that. Cool. I look forward to seeing that for sure. I think that'll be super exciting. I think that'll be one of my favorite things for 2023. Right. But going into this, uh, we both kind of made some lists. Like I'll, I'll admit my memory's not the greatest. So 
I have my list. I'm sure isn't nearly as long or involved, and really kind of like most of mine honestly come from just a couple movies. Yeah, but those couple movies, like I've watched a ton. They're they're you know, a couple of my favorites, and so they they you know live rent free in my brain. Well, to each their own. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Some people have. I've got a lot of them, and I'm, they're very varied. And some of you guys might not even be familiar with some of the movies. I'll talk about the movie, like the gist of the movie, a little bit. But and on that note too, everybody you know, has that. Uh, leave us some uh, comment on our our post on Instagram, or send us some messages. Let us know what your favorite uh, movie favorite movie scenes are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you've got you know a scene, and it can be you know a comedy thing, an action thing, a, you know, just suspenseful thing, scary thing, doesn't matter. Yeah. If there's there's one of those scenes that you like remember as like that's one of my favorite scenes, and I like watch that scene. You know, you'll go and look it up on YouTube just to watch that one scene again. Mm-hmm. Oh, then yeah. yeah, send it our way and uh, let us know what they are. I'd be yeah. interested to find out. Yeah, and we'll share it in our one of our upcoming podcasts. We'll mention you guys. Yeah. Um, but before we get this kicked off, let's uh, want to remind everybody of our Patreon. Yes, patreon.com slash podcast. You can go uh, subscribe there for as little as a dollar a month and become part of our crew and uh, help fund what we're doing here and help to uh, continue to bring you more uh, awesome geeky content that helps you know fund the costs of website hosting and uh, a lot of the other work that goes into making it yeah and the best thing is you won't be alone obviously you have josh and i but you know what we have some patrons now we have some yeah. crew members on board so yeah it's starting to grow it's starting to grow so please jump on board uh be like ben be like tom you know hopping in the crew yeah. and uh got some new members we love having you guys thank you so much for being our patrons and we look forward to more of you so, uh, start, why don't you give me one of your first ones, your first movie scenes? All right. So, I think the first one that popped in my head was in Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Beautiful. Very iconic movie. Very awesome movie. One of my favorites of all time at the Battle of Helm's Deep. Of course. And the scene is after, you know, when, when it seems like all hope is lost, they're losing the battle they've blown the hole in the wall they've moved retreated back to the cave you know it it seems kind of hopeless and then aragorn remembers what gandalf told him mm-hmm. you know at, at the dawn of the third day you know look to the east or exactly i forget the exact line but um at that moment the sun rises above the hill and you see gandalf ride up on the white horse and then the other horses come up from behind him the riders was it the riders of Rohan? Yeah, the Rohirrim, the Rohirrim like the, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, they come up, and then you know, just that that shot from the side of Gandalf and the other horses coming down the hill. He has his staff held out with the light at the end of, and just that light piercing into the darkness of the mm-hmm. orcs. Like, what well, that is, that might be in my very high on my list. Like, I haven't labeled these, you know, as actually ranked them, but. That's right up there. Even like talking about it, even thinking about it, like I kind of got chill bumps thinking about it just because the visualization and the metaphorical description of that, like it's, it's all, it's been, it's just, it's so amazing. It's so cinematic and just seeing the light pierce into the darkness and what that means was an amazing moment in that movie. You know, what's funny is I actually really love that scene too. It's not on my list because I was going to let you do, you know, I saw you had several Lord of the Rings things on there. Um, but my favorite part of that scene is the king overcoming 
his with with he his personal like his his pathway from defeat into like I'm gonna go out with glory, and he doesn't know that that Gandalf is showing up, mm. and when he says, you know, he's, the, when Aragorn says, "Ride out with," me, and the king looks at him so for death and glory, and Aragorn says for Rohan, and then they, you know, sp- you know, you get that whole speech, and you get the 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 the, the horn of uh, of Hammerhand, what you know, yeah. a sound in the deep once more, and you get Gimli. And then you get the king. This is what I'm getting the goosebumps <laughs> right. when he says, when he says, fourth Aelingus, and then they ride out. Yes. Oh my God. See, that's that, that, and I like, I do like the cavalry charge scene because I love cavalry charges, but yeah. the, it's the beginning part of that scene that I really like. Right. Where they, where he is now, he has accepted his fate and he is willing to meet it hand in hand on his own terms. And I think that Whenever is a you huge thing. Overcome that fear of death. And you just, that doesn't even become a, a, a matter in your mind anymore. It's just about, you know, overcoming defeat and, yeah. and conquering the evil that's out there. Like, I don't care what's going to happen now. We're going to go face it head on and give them some. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Ugh, that it, is awesome. And luckily there was, a, there was, you know, Gandalf had it planned out. Because I will say this, one of the last things you want to do in a cavalry charge is charge a line of pikes. I mean, yeah, I've always thought that was like, that's kind of, but you know, like digging deep into it, I'm wondering if, I wonder if he kind of had some kind of invisible warding spell that he was, Oh, had surrounded. he's a wizard. He's a wizard. It's like, a fantasy movie for sure. I would just say, listen, know, if you guys that's are, how I envisioned it. If you guys are leading cavalry charge, please don't charge into a wall of pikes. Especially, I think, to be honest with you, I think the army in the, in the two towers, Saruman's army, was far superior to Sauron's army. They were really well equipped. They yeah. had very standard equipment, had great plate armor and like long pikes and, and, and like right. those really cool hacking spe- uh, swords. Right. They were a force to be reckoned with. I think if Sauron had like organized his army in much the same way and was as, as a as professional. Right. The Uruk High as the as the nasty little Orcs. Yeah, if you made all the the Orkai, the big strong versions that well equipped. Yeah. That would that would have been tough. Yeah. You you know a little funny thing from the from the the return of the king is did you know the the general orc from that? They based the face prosthetics and everything. They made it look like Harvey Weinstein on purpose. What? Yeah, the nasty looking general with like the pitted face and everything. That's like a Harvey Weinstein mask that they did on purpose because Peter Jackson didn't like Harvey Weinstein. And this is a long time ago. Well, we, I guess we can all agree with him now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Go, so, go Peter Jackson. And when you see it, you'll actually, oh, that does look like Harvey Weinstein. Oh. As gross and disgusting as he is. Wow. Never knew that. There's mm. a little uh, FYI for you. Yeah, that is. That's a, cool. But that's, yeah. That, that is a great scene. That's one of the first ones that popped in my head. Yeah, I I really 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 loved that scene, and it's it and it made it was so epic. The the and I'll tell you one thing: Peter Jackson did really great too with that. Was just the music. Oh yeah, you know. I mean, all the movies had those same kind of things. They did, it and amazing. it was I I liked that how, you know, ethereal, it was like that like almost like elvish singing that you get from it. Like that kind of like, you know, high pitch stuff leading into it, and and. A little bit of that slow motion as the as they kept charged. Now that was a steep hill too for the Rohirrim, but they were the horse lords of Rohan. Yeah. So 
pretty impressive. You get that momentum going down that hill for sure. But like, I mean, it's a good thing that like the one one horse in the front didn't just trip over himself. Oh yeah, and then they all just start like tumbling down, like cyclists in the Tour <laughs> exactly. de France or something exactly. like that. Like, Big old yeah. That would have been a funny kind of blooper just to CGN. Yeah, and see them all just like I'd like to see like Corridor Digital or somebody just like re-edit robot that. Ch- robot chicken, <laughs> robot chicken <laughs> version of that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Oh, that w- that'd be a lot to freaking uh, stop motion animate though. Yeah. But that would be pretty funny. <laughs> so now I've got like a couple more from Lord of the Rings. Do we just go through those real quickly or do you want to go back and forth? Let's just go back and forth. All right. Let's go back Let's and forth. Around. So, um, cause then it would just turn into like a Lord of the Rings episode for the first part a little bit. That's true. Um, so I'll go with one of my scenes I'm going to start out with. So when I was younger, we were poor folks. I've talked about that a bunch. And one of the movies that we had at our house was the double VHS, uh, you know, two box, like the box set of the Alamo and the John Wayne Alamo. And I used to watch that so much as a child. And it's so, um, like burned into my mind. Dimitri Tonkin, the guy who was the, um, the composer and of that musical score for that whole thing. I've got like a bunch of those songs on my playlist. Cause it just, it, it does something to me. Um, right. But there are two specific scenes in this, and I'll I'll talk about them briefly. Um, so the arrival of General Santa Anna's army in force, right? So this I think the movie was filmed in the seventies, and it used like thousands of Mexican army soldiers as like like mo- you know modern day Mexican army soldiers to play these Mexican army soldiers from the Alamo. What what was the movie called again? This is the Alamo. Oh, just the Alamo. The Alamo with John Wayne. And, um, the arrival of Santa Ana's army, you get this shot of a century standing on the Alamo with the Alamo, ba- like, you know, back and the end scene. And we got to watch that too. That's my favorite. Thing. Um, you get a, you get this shot of the, of the century saying, look, and the, the defenders of the Alamo go and they man their stations and you see this long line and you actually have this, um, like orchestra of like soldiers parading behind Santa Ana as like this beautiful column um, comes in. I love Napoleonic era infantry units and cavalry units is something like I really geek out about. Um, I really like seeing them. Um, So they, General Santa Ana was like known as like the Napoleon of the West. That's what he called to fancy himself as. And when you you see the the uniforms, the different colors, the different stuff, and you see like this ragtag group of guys ready to defend. And it was filmed really well for a seventies movie. And so it's probably one of the things that I a lot of people who've seen John Wayne movies aren't familiar with it, but it's, it's yeah, I've I've never seen this movie. It is is phenomenal. I haven't seen a lot of like older movies like that, but yeah. Huh. Interesting. And because they use so many extras too, it's one of those things that, you know, there is no CGI. Yes, Everything it, it is practical so effects. You, you just had to have that many people like in that many uniforms and that much equipment to just actually do this. Yes. And John Wayne, this was like a passion piece for him. And he plays Davy Crockett in this. And, you know, the spoiler alert, you know, for those of you who aren't from the United States, aren't familiar with the Alamo, it's a famous last stand of the, the Republic of Texas before it became the state of Texas. Uh, in you know, in the Independence War, and you know this small group of soldiers, you know, 
they they got into you know a fight and they lasted for like 13 days Jesus. and then this is the final battle is this is the scene where he arrives and it is um just haunting. And then it, it, once they all march in and you get all the, you get all the music and you get all the, you know, you get the actual people following Santa Anna, it just goes completely still and quiet. And then somebody says, one of the Tennessee guys says, it sure are loud. And, uh, yeah. And then for me also, just a quick thing, the final scene. So once the battle, the, once the battle ends, um, and the aftermath is over, uh, one of, I think it's, Captain Travis, I think his wife and, and kids are found um, by the Mexican soldiers. And, you know, there's been two movies, two big movies of the Alamo. There's one with, um, I forget, Billy Bob Thornton, who plays Davy Crockett in it. And it goes, it makes Santa Ana like seem kind of goobery. And then there's this one where there's kind of a reverence paid towards both sides. Like the Mexican army is kind of revered. Like it, it doesn't make them out to be just bumbling idiots, you know, like they're brave soldiers. The Alamo are brave sold the, you know, the, the defenders, of the Alamo are brave soldiers. Nobody's really demonized necessarily. Um, but the ending of it is where the, the mother and the kids are being escorted out where they've got a donkey and they are leaving the Alamo and okay. there are, there, there's the battlements are destroyed. There are local Mexican women there, you know, doing like the, doing the Catholic prayer for them as they're leaving. And the little girl looks up at her mommy and she's like, where's daddy mommy. And as they're marching, general Santa Anna is there and he takes off his hat or he says something. And there's a, there's a trumpet sound. All the Mexican soldiers stand to attention. And as she's walking past with the donkey and her kid and another kid, you know, Santa Anna takes off his, his bicorn hat and does like this big sweeping, you know, like bow to her. And oh, you wow. get this just acapella ending music. And that is one of those things that has always just been riveting for me. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's like, yeah. And it, cause again, the recreate it's, it's kind of a recreation as opposed to, you know, Helm's deep where is a lot of CG and sure, stuff, yeah. but like something on a, on such a big scale like that, yes. but actually done mm-hmm. in that long ago too. Yeah. You know that there's that much effort put into something like that. That's, and it looks good. It doesn't look like other, like when you look at other Westerns of the time or whatever, like this actually looks like a decently made, like, it yeah, like, be... like the film, the, the filming on that and stuff was pretty dang good. Like, like I said, I haven't ever seen it, but we were just, I was just kind of playing a clip in the background there and that, that looked pretty dang good. So if you're, if you're looking for one, you know, if you're looking for a movie that you've never seen before is the Alamo, a really good movie, you know, it starts out slow. There's a lot of, there's actually a decent amount of drama in it, but the action's pretty good, especially for what it was. So, right. And, you know, and obviously just being a realistic war movie or, you know, war movie about a real thing that happened. Um, I've always liked people that have like, kind of like I talked about with, with the scene that you described from the, you know, Lord of the Rings the two towers is mm-hmm. people that have accepted what's going to happen to them and have met their fate with courage. Cause I think I, I find myself facing that from time to time. And I, I always wonder if I'll rise to the task. And so when I see this, it like is inspiring to me. Right. I like those kind of like forlorn hope things where people, there is no hope that they're going to get out of it. And they choose to, you know, kind of like walk hand in hand into destiny, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, and, and you know, I've, I've wondered that thing too. And I'm sure, you know, me and you both kind of talked about it. It's in their, long history and friendship together and stuff mm-hmm. that like if 
if we were ever in some kind of situation like that, like, you know, what would we do? Yeah. And stuff. And like, you know, we're both kind of in the same mindset that we both, you know, of course you'd never really know till you're in it, mm-hmm. but both confidently would like to think, you know, if, if it's going down, we're making it happen. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it reminds me of like wrestling when I was in high school, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I was a, a pretty good wrestler and was ranked highly in the state. And I remember my senior year, I was scared of getting pinned. I didn't want to get pinned at all my senior year. I, you know, I, I planned on doing really well. I planned on going to the state tournament, but I was like, I'm not going to get pinned this year. And it didn't matter because it was still a loss on my record if I lost by points. Now, it did to the team if it was a team match where the, the you know you got pinned, the other team would get more points than just beating you by points. But okay. there there was something to going for broke and maybe getting pinned to win the match versus, you know, like, um, just, well, I'm not gonna let him pin me. If he he beats me, he beats me. I think that's something that I struggled with a lot. My, my senior year and it's something that I think about from time to time. Gotcha. That makes sense. That's really cool. Yeah. I've, I've, I've never seen that movie, but it, it definitely seems right up your alley. Oh yeah. Knowing you. Yeah. And there'll be some similar. Yeah. Unfortunately for, (laughs) but that, that's the way it goes. Yeah. That's fine, though. That's awesome. What's your next one? Uh, my next one I'll go with is, let's see, looking at my list. I, I've, there's one that I, I've mentioned in uh, one of our, in the Matrix episode that we did, I believe, where one of my favorite scenes, um, and it's when the, the famous kind of like blue pill, red pill voice scene. Yeah, and you, I think you actually like narrated this whole thing in the yeah, Matrix. Yeah, I kind of just did like episode, just by reflex, you know, just by watching it. But yeah, that's another one too. That and that's one of those ones that you know I've seen however many times, but it always makes you think because talking about the discussion of choice and like ultimately, you know, whether or not you know everything we see around us is real or manufactured or an illusion. You still have the ability to make a choice mm-hmm. in the end, and, and Morpheus pr- presents Neo with that choice. Obviously, he you know chooses the red pill and decides to see how far deep, you know, how far down the rabbit hole goes. But that whole you know dialogue that I kind of narrated in that other podcast about the Matrix, you know, him talking about, you know, you want to know what the Matrix is? It's what you see and taste, and smell. It's you know all around you at all times. That that that's was one of the that's one of those uh, particular things that I've went back to and analyzed and kind of thought about through my whole life, sort of thing. In various times as I'm going through different things, and it's always been a an a really impactful scene just on my life and my theories and thoughts about everything in general. But there's been few scenes that I've watched in movies that have had an actual impact. How I like move through my daily life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and well, and this it's just such an iconic thing. Like everybody knows it. That's the reason why it's used in memes so much. It's why different, you know, different political ideologies take it right for their own. I think a lot of people want to, and it, it makes sense. It's a, it is a interesting scene. It, it, it like, it is definitely, you know, very, um, you know, the Wachowskis have, have definitely, definitely gone deep with it. You know, oh, the yeah. whole movie's like, you know, allegory, you know, and I think when you go that deep into it um, and you look at the different thing, like the choices that you can make or like whether you just, it's like a life well lived type of thing, you know? And I think that's oh, yeah. what 
what Keanu, I think that's what Neo is struggling with. Right. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I had already, I talked about it, you know, very in depth then, but you know, that's that's the gist of it. It's it's a very, it's just been really impactful scene in my life, and I think that's it's that one's definitely high up on my list of favorites. Yeah. So that's that's one of mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I, I keep that one short and sweet. Short and I, you sweet. Know, I don't have a lot to say. A lot of mine, you know, they I get to the kind of point pretty quickly, but that one kind of speaks for itself, I think, in a lot of a lot of instances. And uh, also, uh, for anyone interested. And don't know which scenes we're talking about in these movies. Um, you can go to the our, our website geekETCpod.com and go to the episode page for this uh, episode uh, 23. And I'll have some show notes underneath of the show there, and I have links to each of these uh, things that we're talking about. If they're you know if the scene is available on YouTube or something to yeah. actually link to to watch. Then I'll put it on there. But it, if, if not, you know, you may just have to watch the movie too. Oh my goodness, what a, what a time! But yeah, the show notes will be there because Josh does an awesome job taking that and putting that into our 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 website. Um, so for me, I'll I'll kind of keep this one, this next one, sweet. It it's like a double feature scene um, from the movie Breaker Morant, which is an Australian movie about a uh, a light cavalry officer in the boar war so it's one of the very few mm. boar war movies first off i have no idea what you're talking about it's a war like you know it's a, it's a war in very you know late 1800s early 1900s okay in africa right between the boars the dutch like settlers and and british soldiers wow and the, he's part of like an australian like cavalry unit who is so the word commando is like uh, comes from like the boar groups that were fighting an unconventional warfare against the the british during the Boer War. But so in this movie, um, the like essentially they are brought in as like a kind of like a special forces unit to help fight the Boer commandos who are who are really waylaying the the, the conventional British forces. And they are given orders that like sometimes they bring prisoners back and they get yelled at for bringing prisoners back. They're like, hey, these guys aren't in uniform and they're whatever. You guys should have shot them, like just execute them out there. You have the right to do that. And um you know, then they start shooting them. And essentially what happens is there is a incident where they execute more prisoners after one of their, their main officers is like mutilated and tortured and killed. And, uh, this is a true story. Mm. And part of it goes back now. I don't know what they, you know, I've, I've looked at the legality of this case before and everything like that. I'm sure there was some stuff that, um, you know, the truth is out there. I don't think anybody's ever going to really know the whole truth of it, but there is zero question that the colonial forces that the British used, the, the, the Anzacs, the Australian, the New Zealanders, the Canadians, whoever, in multiple conflicts, always got the short of the end of the stick compared to British soldiers. There's many instances in World War I where mm-hmm. Australian soldiers, New Zealand soldiers were executed for little to no reason or whatever. Like They were definitely treated worse than standard British soldiers. I've heard about that before. And so with this this scene in particular, so Hen, uh, Henry Morant, Henry Breaker Morant, um, it's about their trial. And I think it's probably one of the best courtroom dramas I've ever seen. And so there's there's two scenes in it. There is one where they're, because the, the diction of their defense attorney and his arguments are so good. They are so amazing. And the... You know the closing argument, and but Rule Three O Three, when Henry Breaker Morant stands up, when they that he's in cross examination, and they ask him, and they say, 
what rules did you shoot him under? And he says, I shot, he's like, we caught them and we shot them under rule 303, which is 303 is the British infantry car cartridge round for the British infield rifle. And so that was, that's where rule 303 comes from is from that, like that. The rule was we've got the rifles, essentially we have the guns. So we shot them, but they were told to do it. (laughs) Right. And he's just so angry with like the kangaroo court, no pun intended that's going on. Yeah. And their defense attorney is so good during this movie and it sounds so great. And then, you know, the truth, the, the history is out there. Spoiler alert. They lose the case. Um, the two, uh, Henry Brick Morant and his next closest officer are chosen to be executed by firing squad. And the third guy, wind the third officer, who's the youngest officer, they're able to get him to like a life sentence, but he only gets out, he gets out after a couple of years. And, uh, okay. The, the ending scene, Henry Morant was a poet. He wrote a lot of poetry. He was a poet and he was a horse guy from Australia. And so um, he, he, they ask him what epithet he would like for his, or so they ask him if he wants a, a, a father or a padre for, um, for his execution. And he says, no, I'm a pagan. And then... The other guy's like, what's a pagan? He's like, I don't believe there's some divine being dispensing justice. And the other guy's like, well, I'm a pagan too. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he does say that there is an epithet I would like. And the, the padre kind of looks at him and he's like, uh, Matthew 336 or 1036, I think it is. And it's like, a man's enemies will be uh, members of his own household is what he wants as his epithet for his, his thing. Mm-hmm. And then in the background, as he's walking with the other officer to kind of like cliffside where they're going to be executed by firing squad. Um, they grab each other's hands and apparently they just did that as like a, in the moment thing. But apparently that really happened in real life from what I understand as they're walking to it. And then you hear the poem, which is it's called butchered to make a Dutchman's holiday. Mm. And I'm going to, I'll recite it for you. Um, this, this is what he wrote. This is like his death poem that he wrote the night before he was, he was killed and it was published and it really ain't the place nor time to reel off rhyming diction, but we'll fight. We'll write these final lines while waiting crucifixion and bequeath these few tips to those men who come across and transport ships to polish off the Dutchmen. If you see a boar, you really mustn't loot them. And if you ever wish to leave these shores for pity's sake, don't shoot them. So let us pump, let us uh, toss a bumper down our throats before we pass to heaven and toast the, uh, the trim set petticoat we leave behind in Devon. And that is, that is, I've, I've memorized it. I, I obviously, lo- I was, it's impressive I, that you just rattle that off. I, I love it so much because, you know, it's, it's hidden kind of like, you know, kind of like a screw you to them. You know, um, we were doing our jobs and we're getting killed for it. Whether, you know, atrocities happen, I don't know, but obviously the Australians always caught that, you know, from what they, they were acting under orders that should have been okay. And then mm. they got caught up in it. And then at the very end of it, you know, they're lined up. There's a, there's a neat background and, um, you know, they're seated in chairs and Henry Morant says, shoot straight, you bastards. Don't make a mess of it. And then apparently that was his last words. And then they're shot and that's it. And wow. I, that's another one, I guess, where he's just accepted his fate, but the courtroom drama of it, it's like one of the, you know, a few good men. And there's all these other, you know, like, oh, did you order the code red? And, you know, Mountain Dew, <laughs> you know, you get those kind of scenes, which are really good, but this is a movie that most people haven't seen. I think it's probably filmed in the seventies yep. as well. Never and heard of it. It is just so the acting is top notch there. It's an Australian movie made for Australians. And I think, uh, 
Oh, it was made in 1980. 1980. And it shows its, it shows its, uh, its roots in that it's definitely not as polished, I think, as like John Wayne's movie, but, but it doesn't have the same type of, uh, you know, hmm. doesn't have the same type of budget. Right. Well, dang. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely wasn't expecting a courtroom scene as... As one of mine? As one of the things, but that that's pretty... That, that also makes sense. That's pretty cool. Well, it's just one of those things where, like, he the, the defense attorney in it, he makes it so clear that, like... He, he's like, I've, I've essentially cleared them. Like, look at, he's like, they've done all this stuff you told them to do. And then you guys are going to kill them. What are you, what are you talking about? You know? And it's just so logical and so well put together. And I think that's, it's one of those things, but it still happens regardless because people suck. Right. You know? Yeah. That's kind of one of those glimpses of reality kind of thing of like, as stuck as it is, like stuff like that happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it did happen, obviously. Yeah. Like said, it's based on a true story. Well, that's pretty cool, man. All right. What's next for you? Back for me. Uh, I, I'll dip my toe into the things that really happened. Okay. As far as uh, real life sort of stuff. Okay. So, my clip is from the movie Black Hawk Down. And this one kind of, you know, has a special place between us. We've talked about it, but it's... Now, this is at the, at the beginning of the movie, right? Uh, it's pretty or, close to the yeah. beginning of the movie. It's yeah. been a minute since I've seen it, but I, I know the scene. Um, but yeah, they get the uh, word to uh, initiate their, uh, you know, attack that they they're going in and stuff. So yeah, uh, they uh, we're all kind of waiting for the the go signal to to move in with all their attack choppers mm-hmm. and everything that they were need to. So they you know, get the code word Irene. You know, when when you hear that word, you know, again, it's go time. It's time to go in. And then they come in with Voodoo Child with Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yep. Again, Very you get crunchy. That, you get that epic music, that iconic music for the scene and stuff. And all the soldiers, you know, you can tell they're they're like itching. They're ready to go. They're ready to have, some of them obviously a little more apprehensive than others. But it's just like a couple minutes of like Humvees driving out out into the uh, desert stuff, the little birds taking off with like the Delta Force guys sitting on the sides of them. Everything about the scene is just one of those iconic, just awesome kind of like America scene. Yeah, yeah, sort of thing. Definitely it, so. It has that patriotism behind it. I mean, obviously, I, I know it's. You agree that it, it's an awesome scene. We've talked about it many mm-hmm. times in the past, but yeah, that was another one that just popped in my head as far as. Just the epicness of what it's going. You got the music, you got the cinematicness, and it it it's always held a special place in my head. Yeah, I mean, it, definitely, it's one of those really good scenes where, like, the the music it just oh it it just it hits right at the right time with everything. And right. you know, the Battle of the Black Sea, you know, in Mogadishu for Black Hawk Down, you know, Mark Bowden's book about that. Um, it is it is such an interesting little conflict. It's definitely one of those things that like tested non-conventional and conventional forces. I think we're seeing some of that today, modern day, you know, in, in the Ukrainian conflict, the Ukrainian Russo war, um, where like special forces are having a difficult time operating against huge numbers of, you know, forces. And obviously the, the Somalian soldiers don't have, you know, in this, they don't have like, um, tanks and AA guns and everything, but they have the superior numbers. And it was a very interesting, uh, thing the, the Mogadishu mile really happened you know the fact that there is 
you know, 10th Mountain happened to come in with like, I think it was Indian soldiers and other folks as well to help out. And then you had the, uh, the pilot who was released uh, after some time. And also the Delta Force. I love, I'm a Delta Force simp, you know, I, th- I think some Americans, like I think American men, some of us, there's, we kind of almost like Marvel, we have our own favorite special forces group <laughs> yeah, because right. it's been so popular in video games and culture and everything yeah, like that. And, and I'm not trying to play like, you know, I was never, you know, in the military, I was never in any type of special forces, um, right. you know, like I'm, but I think there's people that like, oh, I think these guys kit, like, you know, if you like people that have. If you like military kit, you like military hardware or you're a historian, yeah, I think there's certain groups see. that hold your interest, like much like a French cavalry unit would or yeah. a, a, a British Hussar unit would for me. It's the yeah. same thing with the with the army. I, I've always liked Army's Delta Force and I've always thought they're like my favorite superhero versus like Navy SEALs or whatever. Right. You and you know, there's nothing wrong with taking some Marvel and, you know, you know, particular groups and, and like groups of, you know, people who've done you know, awesome, you've accomplished great things, you know, maybe in, especially like in the field of combat and war and stuff, you know, that they've went through and, you know, accomplished great things and saved a lot of people mm-hmm. and stuff. And I don't think, I don't see that, you know, personally, I don't think there's anything wrong in taking some, you know, Marvel and appreciation in that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in Delta Force, they're good old, you know, they're stationed in uh, Fort Bragg. I don't forget what Fort Bragg is called now. It's been changed. The name has been Uh-oh. changed, but yeah. Um, Fort liberty or freedom something like or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they're, they're you know, they're out at Fayetteville and um yeah. you know, they're a very interesting group, kind of like one of the premier hostage rescue teams in the world, but they were used quite a bit tier 1 assets in the global war on terrorism and for many other things and I I've just I've always loved their stuff, especially that early 90s, you know, where they've got the the kind of car 15, you know, they don't have the gear that they have now. The only thing that really differentiates them um in the movie that where you can really automatically tell is they've got those cool like black climbing helmet type yeah, things. Yeah, the black just like regular uh, impact uh, uh, bump helmets and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just fun seeing them and, and seeing the those guys talk about it. And uh, I think, who what is the what is that guy who, uh, who is that one dude who's just so straight-laced that was in that? Um, who's like a... Who's in the movie? No, he wasn't in the movie. Well, that's the one thing about the movie, too, is you've got Tom Sizemore, you've got Ewan McGregor, you've got um, Tom Hardy, you've got, there's so many actors, yeah, and some of them, you, of can't, names. you can't even tell who they are. Right. You know, like, Tom Hardy, like, you see him a few times, and you're like, oh, that's that Tom Hardy? You know, like, the younger Tom Hardy, it's just very interesting. It was in 2001, so, yeah. yeah, a lot of these bigger names, you know, were a lot younger back then, and stuff. Yeah, so. seeing Obi-Wan Kenobi with his, I think he's got a saw or something like that, <laughs> and this is, is fun. Um but uh, what's the guy from Pantio Productions? Um, Paul Howe, he's you can find like a video of him talking on uh, on YouTube about the Battle of the Black Sea, and it's he's just such a like a straight laced dude, you know. You can like, and he has pictures of him in his old kit with his like, you know, the same type of like terrible, you know, body rig and the big American flag on it, and his uh, his desert camis, and he just he's such a cool dude. Um, and, but he's such like a, like just hard stern, like, you know, he's just got such a, uh, when he's talking about it, you just know that that's a, that's a tough dude, you know? Oh yeah. I've watched a few videos on him and stuff, doing some like, uh, training videos mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. And none of his stuff, none of his, like, like, you know, if, if you were people that like to do drills or, you know, like, you know, or you guys are into firearms, into firearms yeah. or shooting or anything yeah. like that. He's one of those guys that is, uh, there's no, 
flair. Like he's not out there. No, sp- no range theatrics is yes. a good term. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, we're going to run 300 yards and then shoot. And then we're going to yeah. run 300 more yards and then shoot and get like his, <laughs> yeah. his stuff is just very straight. basic and straight lace, but it, yeah. it's, it's good stuff. It's, it's straight and to the point, but yeah, he's one of those that definite, uh, American, uh, icons and heroes from back then that put in some work Yeah, back in the day. So, uh, Salute to Paul Howe out there. Yeah, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal scene. I love Black Hawk Down as a movie. It's, you know, it, We Were Soldiers, and Saving Private Ryan were like the big three war movies when we were young. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think every young boy in the early 2000s had to watch those movies. Right. Had to sleep over at some point, you know, and have fun. Kind of rite of passage. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Um, Going to my next scene, I'll go to another foreign movie, and this is... Uh, when that shakes the barley, and it's a Killian Murphy movie, and you keep having these ones I've never heard of. <laughs> well, you know, I'm well. That's you know, hopefully, what I'm going for is is if you if you haven't seen When That Shakes the Barley, it's a really good movie. Now, I will say that it is one of those movies that um, it is a movie of Irishmen uh, made by Irishmen. I think for Irishmen, uh, and the accents they don't dumb them down for the for Americans. If that makes sense. Oh, right. And they speak in Irish in a few seconds. You know, they have subtitles, but there are scenes where they actually speak in Irish in it. And it takes place during, you know, the troubles and like the, 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 I don't know if this is the Easter Rebellion or is after the Easter Rebellion, whatever it is. But it takes place during, you know, the Irish Civil War. Mm -hmm. And um, Killian Murphy is kind of like pushed into conflict on the side of the IRA and in the 20s or whatever. And, him and his brother are part of it. And he, there's, there's internal conflict between not only the Irish and the British, but then there, once the Irish get like kind of their own provisional government, there's conflict between the Irish and the Irish, you know, and it's one of those things that, you know, it just plays on like people are always going to have conflict. You know, I think there, mm. it, even when they have what they want, it's just not good enough for some people or whatever. And you kind of get this brother versus brother thing, even though they're kind of on the same side during all this. But my favorite scenes from this are the, they do an ambush on a British, you know, infantry platoon or small, you know, sized uh, thing where they, you know, unconventional tactics. There's, you know, it looks, it's a cool entry. Whereas most conflict, most military conflict, they are, um, that we see in movies, they're fighting in the desert or they're fighting in like, you know, Europe proper or whatever. Right. Either in an urban setting or yeah, like out way out in the desert or something. And then this scene taking place in like the beautiful rolling green hills of Ireland, uh, on a small, on, you know, a couple British infantry squads. Um, it's one of those things that I've always liked it. I liked, you know, like driving around here in, in, in Western North Carolina, you can kind of see like the um, similarities. similarities, like in the the way the place looks. Right, you know? right. And so they attack these guys. I think they're British soldiers in, in, in black and tans. So like, you know, loyalists, Irish folks, and they got the Lewis guns and everything out there. Um, and then immediately following this scene, after it's successful, you know, I think they lose a couple soldiers, but they kill everybody. Um, you get one of my favorite things, and that is the 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 typical foggy... Irish, you know, kind of like trope that you see, and it's them them marching, 
um, singing the, the, the Irish folk song. And so they are marching through the fog and you, you hear them. It's very slow coming. And you see this just group of soldiers or, you know, these Irish partisans and they're singing their fight song kind of off key. And as it gets closer and closer, you know, they're singing in Irish. It just, it, it just does something to me. Um, I get that. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of watching in the background right now. I can see that. Yeah. It's got that a very, you just see the outlines and the silhouettes of them coming down the road through the fog, but you hear like the, the singing going on almost like a sea shanty. Mm hmm. Kind of thing. I've heard you sing that before. Yeah, it's a good song. <laughs> huh. And I like that you can hear them, like it's an actual, you know, I think marching cadence songs. I mean, I think a lot of people, even if you've never been in the military or whatever, there, there, there is a catchiness to it. You know, I think there's something ingrained in people. Yeah, there's a reason they use those cadence, you know, marching songs and stuff, you know, actually while they're doing stuff like that, I'm sure it, it gets this kind of, like you said, this cadence, this pace to your walking and, and can mm-hmm. kind of almost help, you know, you get in that, that rhythm and you just kind of keep marching through it. You keep singing the song and you keep marching, you keep pushing yeah. and you kind of use it as motivation to keep to carrying you down the road. Exactly. And I, yeah, so I love that one. I think it's a great movie. You know, one of my favorite, it's just such a good, it, it, it tears at your emotions. It plays with you a bunch of different ways and it goes all over the place. And like I said, it, it, I think it is meant for Irish folks and it's a very patriotic Irish film. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Again, another movie I hadn't heard of, but I have to check that one out. Cool. My next scene is actually going back to, uh, Lord of the Rings. Yes. Good. And, uh, this one particularly, uh, holds a very yeah. special place in my heart. Um, this one I actually played at my dad's funeral. Yeah. So yeah, it's a scene where they are in, uh, Gandalf and Pippin are in Minas Tirith and it's, uh, I guess I got a, a common occurrence. There's like somebody held up somewhere. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a common the thing. Siege, in the yeah. I guess that, that makes for an iconic moment in movies. Yeah, of course you got to have that. I mean, there's always got to be yeah, some kind of conflict and yeah. stuff, but, uh, yeah, they're up in Minas Tirith and there's, uh, a gate that a big uh, cave trolls, you know, trying to smash through with a big war hammer. And they're just kind of waiting for them to bust through. And, you know, Pippin, tells Gandalf that, you know, I didn't think it would end this way. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't think I was going to die just, you know, killed by orcs in a city somewhere kind of thing, you know, just struggling to survive and Gandalf kind of, you know, reassures him, end. Well, death isn't the only part. You know, there's more to it than that. And he essentially, you know, talks about, you know, once the Grey Curtain, you know, pulls back, then all you see is, you know, white shores and a far green country into a swift sunrise. And you kind of, and when he tells him that you kind of see this calm, like the acting on this scene, I think is superb mm-hmm. between the two of them. You, even just in the facial expressions, you see Pippin's face, this kind of calmness come over this, like, like almost release of anxiety of like, and he even says like, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah. And, you know, like I mentioned, like this, this scene particularly, I, I played it at my dad's, funeral because it I really take what Gandalf says to heart, you know, as far as, you know, once that 
death know, is just the beginning. Yeah, death is just the beginning. That there's more to this life after death, and that it's not something that we should be scared of. Yeah, and and I'll share. You know, I think I think uh, us doing an episode at some point, like when in the far future, or you know, whatever on loss itself would be a good one you know for mm. those because i think that's something that you handled you know i don't want to speak about it too much your personal life but your father died unexpectedly and young you know or like younger you know a healthy guy but yeah. it wasn't something that we were expecting you know and i remember the call that you gave me when i was on the way home from work and it was just out of the blue it was a thing that i wasn't you know and i remember you playing this you know at the funeral and I remember it was a um it was definitely a stark thing because it was it's something you know because I think you did really well especially with your family with what what was going on you know you Mm -hmm. you you were um I think Jeff would have been very proud of you you were very brave about everything I think you displayed a lot of courage and I, I think you it was definitely a difficult moment for your whole family especially as unexpected it was and you know, like we said, there there are these scenes that these actors do, and there are things that we take away from them mm-hmm. that impact us in our personal lives. And it's always been like that. You know, some people will say whatever, it's a movie, but it is the media of our time. It's the same thing as somebody taking a philosopher's thing. You know, people want to talk about yeah. stoicism and things from Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius didn't have movies. If he did, he maybe, you know, as the emperor, he probably would have filmed something on his stoicism. Yeah. You know, there's... there. We have that media available to us, and, and coming from from the great mind of Tolkien himself, who who had to deal with, um, you know, so many things. You know, somebody who was embroiled in the First World War, something so monstrous and crazy and and devastating that very few people could get to understand it. You know, I yeah. think his his words and and the scene comes through beautifully. Yeah, it was one of those things that, like, I literally, you know in that time of my life, like I don't know how many times I probably just replayed this clip just watching it over. It was one of those things that like, again, scenes and movies that have helped me through times in my life, like this particularly was for sure one of them. Yeah. And just having that, just being able to play that little clip and just kind of have that reassurance for myself through Gandalf's words, it, it helped me through some tough times. So I feel like I'd be reminisced not to mention that in, in an episode talking about favorite movie scenes. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I knew this would be on there for you, you know, especially that's, you know, I knew you would have several Lord of the Rings things on here. So I, you know, I purposely left any of those out, but yeah. do you have the scene coming after this as well? The, the cavalry at Pelennor fields? Is that one of no. them? Uh, I, I would say that would, that would be my next thing. It would, would, um, I have another Lord of the Rings scene, but it's not that. <laughs> well, I, I think specifically after this, you know, after they face off the Nazgul and you hear the horns in the distance and you get the riders of Rohan once again. Yeah coming to the battle of Pelennor fields and um, the huge host of like eight or 10,000. And then you get the epic cavalry charge and you get the, right. you know, fourth Aelingus again. And the, the, the cavalry charge into the orc flanks is yep. just one of those phenomenal scenes, the music, everything about it. That's why there's so many memes. That of whole it. like hour of footage from that movie. And I think there was numerous things. In oh the, yeah. You know, they had the whole like, uh, you know, what's her name fighting the the witch king kind mm-hmm. of, you know, the yep. I, I'm no man. Yeah. Aowen thing. Yeah. That whole deal. Like yeah. there's, there's, there's everyone charging in with the ghosts from the ship mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, yeah, that whole time there at uh, Minas Tirith was epic. Yeah. Extended edition folks. You guys got to watch them. You know, that's 
I've, I'm still actually working through. I haven't seen all of the extended editions. Oh, have you I've, not? I've, I've seen I've them a watched, few times. Uh, I think all of one, and then I've got like part way through two. But like me and my uh, my mom and my wife were watching all of those through together. So we just got to find the time to do it. Yeah, the, the phenomenal, phenomenal movies. And uh, you know, like you said, there are plenty of lessons to be learned here. There is a, there is a lot of wisdom. I think yeah. you know from from Tolkien. Like you know, that's a that was a smart dude. That guy created his own languages, the Silmarillion. Right. Like that's a that's an insane world. Like that guy was a, a genius, genius, genius. You know, the father of modern day fantasy in, in all reality. You know, and um, you know, lots of people have found his works and his words and the words that Peter Jackson, you know, were, were inspired by and used in the films. I think, you know, you see people with the tattoos. You see people who have that kind of thing on their bodies. You know, it's a thing that people really, really enjoy. For sure. Um, what you got? So I guess, let's see here. I'll go with my my next scene. I'll go a little bit more literary um, with it. And this is probably a movie you've also not seen. Um, it's Coriolanus. And it's the specifically the, it's, Coriol- it's Ray Fine's take on Coriolanus. And I think it's the best modern take on a William Shakespeare movie. And... There is, this is, this is the one, you know, there were, when I was younger, I think that teachers, there was a modern, like a modern setting of, uh, Romeo and Juliet that they used and it was just bad. Um, you know, poorly done. Ray Fiennes really liked Coriolanus. And so he, he created this movie. I think he produced and directed it. It is, it is in Shakespearean. He uses, you know, the lines are all the same there. Um, there are so many, uh, you know, I, I like Macbeth quite a bit. There's a lot of lines from Macbeth I like a lot. You know, the, the, there's dag, beware, there's daggers and men's smiles. Um, oh, yeah. You know, things like that, that, like little words, like little scenes like that. In Coriolanus, there's definitely some things like that as well, you know, there's one scene where he's speaking to his mother and he says, why do you wish me milder? Rather say, I play the man that I am, you know, like those kind of things. But there's two scenes in this in particular. One of them is a very short scene where it, he, you know, he is a, essentially Coriolanus is like a, a Roman tribune or Roman, you know, consul or whatever. And, um, he is leading troops against, uh, you know, an enemy force and they get in this situation and, and, I think all the other settings where you've seen it played, even by really great actors, I think that the meaning is kind of skipped on. And there's a scene where he's like, you know, essentially saying, you know, if, if you're ready, follow me, you know, like hold your hand in the head, you hold your, you know, fist over your head, you know, if you want to, if you're ready to follow Coriolanus and, or he says his first name, like Martius or whatever, and nobody does. And then like, in the in the Ray Fiennes movie, they slowly you get this kind of like slow like people like okay they're agreeing to do this like final charge with him, and then he's like make you a sword of me, and then he leads the assault into combat, and I, that's like such a, like an inspiring thing. And in other plays that I've seen it done in, it's like this like everybody holds their hands up immediately, and he's like make you a sword of me. And that's it. But in this one, Ray Fiennes is just... The way he delivers it. He delivers it at, at his best. You know, you get this, like, moment of where everybody's got blood on their face, and he's with them, and, they're you know, he's like, make you a sword of me! And they all, ah! And they charge in, 
And I love that scene. And then Coriolanus, you know, it does not do so well politically at home. And he winds up like in the, um, there's a difference in the way that like, obviously Rafe Fiennes has interpreted that than a lot of people have seen it played. And in that, you know, he's, he has this moment where he raises his fist and nobody else is. And he's like, it's just me, huh? I'm, I'm the only person right. that, that outweighs that thinks, you know, it's worth this. And then they slowly raise their hands and mm-hmm. then he pumps them up and then they charge and, you know, make you a sword of me. And he charges into battle. And I love that scene. And then, so then you obviously get the one where it's more politically minded, where he's at home and you get his, the, the, like the common cry of curse scene where he's being, mm. he's being ostracized and banished as a traitor. And, you know, he goes on this, this rampage and he talks about like, you know, they're essentially they're in this peacetime. There's like that, that saying that's like kind of Latin in origin where it's like, you know, hard times create tough men, tough men create good times, good men, good times create soft men, soft men create hard times. Yeah. And he, in this, he kind of references that, you know, he's come back and he's like, you know, in this, in his saying, you know, he says, you know, he, he's mad at them. He's like, I hate you people back. And then he says, you know, you guys have the power to banish your defenders, you know, and you eventually they're with just like the nod of like, just them t- putting their helmets on are going to like, you know, sc- scare you to death. Right. You know? And at the end of it, you know, he says, despising for you the city and then he's like thus i turn my back there is a world elsewhere and then he goes out and then you know he dies in hand-to-hand combat you know stain all your edges on me volskis and you get this cool thing there are several scenes where i did that in in our one our one our dungeons and dragons playthroughs where i you know i based some of my stuff on shakespearean things as a bard and i i really liked it um i can see that and i you know shakespeare is a great bard so he's true he was and so um, of course, I think who was it? I think Keanu, not Keanu. Uh, it was Keanu or somebody else that really doesn't think Shakespeare actually existed. He thinks he was like a menagerie of different people, or he thinks it was somebody else that oh. stole somebody else's ideas. But, huh. um, you know, the Shakespeare, like several of the Shakespearean plays, you know, are I'm big fans of. Macbeth is one of my favorite. I like the Michael Fassbender movie. Um, there are a lot of great scenes in it. I think it's one of a very visually stunning movie. But this Coriolanus stuff just hits home with me based on some of the, my personal experiences. And, you know, it, once again, it's the person accepting fate and choosing to run headlong into it. And I, you know, it's one of those things that I wish I, I, I would hope when it, the hour presents itself that I, I would react in kind. We'll kind of uh, throw out a couple more here and then we'll kind of go through some, some lightning round with honorable mentions and stuff and uh, kind of wrap up. But uh, for another one of my big ones. Uh, kind of different. Like I, I have some other Lord of the Rings stuff, some major stuff, but there's one scene that uh, going completely kind of opposite of a lot of this this seriousness things. I knew it was going to be this, and it is Duel of the Fates from Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. Amazing. Like when it comes to sci-fi stuff, this, especially as a kid, yes. seeing this when it came out. Like, not only do you have the iconic music, dun, 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 John dun, Williams dun, dun, just that everybody destroying knows, it. But you get the ignition of the double lightsaber thing. Mm-hmm. You get, like, even just like the composition of it, you, the, the colors. You get the blue lightsaber and the green against the red. The epic choreography and fight scene of Obi Wan and um, 
uh, Qui-Gon Jinn fighting Darth Maul, this, you know, uh, like one of the best villains out of, out of the movies, in my opinion, and stuff. Yes. The, the ninja Jedi, like, so many things, like, so many things come together in this scene to just make it one of the most epic sci-fi battle scenes mm-hmm. ever. And again, as I said, like, as a kid watching this, my mind was, like, so fascinated and so blown away with that. Like, it, it holds a special place in my heart, for sure. Yeah, and you get, you know, you get some awesome, like, force, you get, like, some force jump stuff, and you get, like, the, like, the thing that George Lucas kind of intended, where whoever, what's going to happen, you know, is, is, is Qui-Gon going to be able to train Anakin, and he turn out differently, or is, is it going to be Obi-Wan, and that's kind of, like, that is the duel of the fates, is, like, who, who lives through this, I think, is what he intended, like, that was part of the duel of the fates, is, you know, if if Qui Gon survives, would this have all turned out differently mm. based on his teachings or whatever? You know, right? And um, versus the young Obi Wan with his first apprentice, and you know, Qui Gon was that father figure, and you know, the first kind of father figure for him, and he's lost in this. And obviously, one of the coolest choreographed, you know, lightsaber duels, and just amazing. I think, you know, probably my favorite Liam Neeson role is. Oh, yeah, I think it's by, fine too. By, by a long stretch, you know. I mean, like, I everybody got, loves Taken and whatever. I, yeah. Maybe Five Minutes in Heaven, which is a movie you probably never heard of as well. I really like that one with him. But, right. Um, but to me, he's like, he is Qui Gon. And Qui Gon was always one of my favorite Jedi's. Because mm-hmm. even in this scene, like when they get trapped, you know, between the red, you know, barriers and stuff, you see Qui Gon, like his way to, you know, pass that, those, you know, 30 seconds, a minute of time is he just kneels down and just goes straight into like a meditation to just to catch his breath, reset himself, refocus on what's going. And that shows that, um, that master level Jedi, you know, that training and that wisdom that comes with it and stuff. I mean, obviously, unfortunately he gets bested by the two lightsabers mm-hmm. while Obi-Wan's still trapped in the, in the barriers waiting to get there. But it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. And, you know, I think his death, like, you know, the good guy loses sometimes. I think that's an important thing to remember is sometimes the good guy loses. And I think that is, especially in storytelling, something very interesting. You know, that that may have been, I was going to say, that may have been the first kind of depiction that I saw of that happening. But then I thought, I mean, I thought like, probably after like, I guess the Lion King, you know, whenever uh, Mufasa dies, like that was the good guy dying. Sure. But in the same vein, this is probably one of the other big instances I've seen that in cinema of like, wait a minute, what do you mean the good guy just doesn't always win? Yeah. Like they can straight up lose and die. Mm-hmm. Like that adds some stakes to it. Yes. And I'll, I'll add this to it. So if you, if you guys, if, if our geeks out here have never watched Star Wars Rebels, um, it's a cartoon. It is, I don't think it's a kid's cartoon necessarily, but it's, it's got some good stuff. If you, there's a scene in particular where you actually get to see Obi-Wan face off with Darth Maul again and Obi-Wan's older and he's on Tatooine and Darth Maul has come to Tatooine and this is a this is a bonus uh scene mm. what you see is um Obi-Wan guesses that or sorry Darth Maul guesses that Obi-Wan's there protecting someone and that forces Obi-Wan into drawing his lightsaber and the scene is so well done because what you see is Obi-Wan takes Qui-Gon's fighting stance and baits Darth Maul into doing the same move that he killed uh, Qui-Gon with. Oh, really? 
he does. He baits him into the exact same move with his double lightsaber on purpose. He goes from his style of fighting and then he changes it up to Qui-Gon style of fighting. And then they, they have a brief flourish with each other. And then, you know, he waits as soon as qui as soon as Darth Maul goes to hit, um, he goes to hit uh, Obi-Wan with like the center of the staff before turning in circle. Uh, Obi-Wan cuts right through the middle of it, right into oh, Darth man. Maul. And it's something that people don't, I don't think a lot of people have caught, but it is. Uh, like, That's subtle, but not, but awesome. Yeah. You see him actually for those, like those real big fanboys or whatever, or if, if you've never just noticed it and somebody points it out to you, it's one of those things where he intentionally did that. And I think it's like great Canon, like, so it's a lot of great love for the actual big Star Wars fans out there. And it's a really great scene to add on to that. But I think, yeah, this was one of those scenes like my childhood when we talked about Star Wars, you know, and I'm sure we're going to do like an episode by episode review. We've already done one on Rogue One of Star Wars. That scene in particular was just like. It stands out, especially even amongst all the prequels like that. That scene is probably one of the most memorable scenes out of all of them. Out of all the Star Wars movies, honestly, mm-hmm. yeah, that fight, like, you, you, you can, like, picture it in your head. You know the music. You know how it goes. It's, yeah, that, and again, another one that lives rent-free in my brain. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so my next one is from one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's a Netflix original movie oh. and uh, directed by David Michaud. Uh, and starring, you know, Joel Edgerton, Timothy Chamolet or whatever, Shamalam, Shamalamanon, Shamalier, whatever, um, the King. And I'm a huge Joel Edgerton fan. Uh, yeah, I've heard you talk about this. Yes. I'm a huge fan of the King. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, there are two scenes in particular in this. There's a, there's a bunch of scenes I could, I could realistically go on, on and on and on about this movie. And hopefully one day when we do an actual um, top movies thing, I will. Uh, but in this movie, it is based on the Shakespeare play, Henry V, but it is not done in Shakespeare in English. However, there is some old English thrown in here and that like, you know, like it's not, um, it's not exactly in our vernacular, but it's easy enough to understand. And some of the things that are said in there are just like, Oh man, it just sounds good. It's, you know, in, in that period film and using that language, just the weight of some of the things that are said are, are epic. There's a scene where um, Timothy Chamley as Henry, young Henry V fights a, you know, another guy, another nobleman in a single combat to avoid conflict. And it's a good fight. And I'll talk about that when we actually talk about favorite movies. But what happens is um, after that fight is done, he is depressed and sad. And um, you get the scene where Joel Edgerton, who plays Sir John Falstaff who's this kind of like drunken, but you know, like elderly knight who's been kind of with him um, for a while and they've got this kinship or whatever, but he's also dealing with his past and you see what happens is um, John comes to King Henry or Prince Henry at this time. And he has these lines where he says, you know, never have I felt so reviled and dirty as standing victorious on the battlefield. The thrill of victory leaves soon. Whatever comes long, you know, and the, the guilt that comes with it fades long after. And, you know, King Henry's not like, he's like, please stop talking to me, old man, please. And he's like, you know, how 
is this a very realistic moment that you see in people where it's like this kind of awkward, you know, there's when people get hurt or they're upset, there's that guy that kind of tries to cheer them up by being funny or whatever. And John Falstaff gives this excellent thing. He gives this excellent saying, and you know, he tells, he essentially says, you're not alone in this. Like this hurts, like this shouldn't feel good, you know? And he also then, um, says, you know, he says, please stop talking to me, old man. And, and Sir John Falstaff says, I'll never stop talking. Never, ever. And he gives a little chuckle and pats him on the back. And he leaves him alone at that point. And we're left to, you know, John, you know, King Henry's kind of left to his own devices. But he's given him some good advice and told him. And I think that stuff plays into why King Henry then uses him for the, the eventual campaign that they go on in France, which leads up to the Battle of Agincourt. And um, John Falstaff and that... Is, is super influential and he has him as like kind of the marshal of the entire campaign because he respects Henry knows that he respects and he reviles warfare in a way that somebody only in like wickedest form is seen. And he's not like so quick to waste soldiers, you know? And so there's a scene that the other scene of this is when the trebuchet. So they, they siege a castle and it's the best castle siege I think I've ever seen because it's a siege that doesn't include an assault. Because it's not normally what happened. Typically, like it would take months and months and months. And so you get like this cardinal who is like uh, this this Catholic cardinal who is there, who is kind of like, why aren't we just going in? Why can't we just go in? And um, they're like, we would lose all these soldiers, you know. And he's like, why can't we just go around it? And he's like, well, because then we have to establish a foothold. Otherwise, we'll lose. You know, we have to organize a fortress here to to have a foothold where we can get our main supplies through. So you get this logistics talk of it. Why it's important. But the filming of this, the background music, and the way that trebuchets work. So in, in all these other movies, you see trebuchets or ballistas or whatever. And when they launch, you get this like huge explosions and blah, blah, blah. And like castle walls are falling down. And this is just a steady barrage of like rocks soaked in, with canvas, soaked in oil. And they hit the walls and you get this like, pump, like this soft, like pump, 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 pump over top of it and as they like they start fires like they're not destroying the walls you see the scorch marks on everything and like there's scenes where at nighttime they're launching them and you'll see you watch as the fire goes over the people's heads and like lights them up for a second and that's pretty epic david michaud just absolutely i don't know this this whole scene is just great and you know I like how, like, too, for something like this, like, they legit just had to build some trebuchets. They built trebuchets, yes. <laughs> that, that's awesome to build. Yeah. And, like, that, that's such them a classic launching, thing. They like are that. launching trebuchets. You see the fire falling. It, it is re- 100% realistic. That is, that is cool. And the rocks are just hitting, and you see the flames coming off of it. They're not destroying the walls. And essentially what they're doing oh, is yeah. they're starting fires, and it's just constant bombardment. And eventually the defenders of the castles just surrender. And that was the best way to do it. Yeah. You know, and there's a bunch of other scenes from that movie. I can't express enough how much I think you guys should see The King. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And um, it awesome. is, it, you know, armor plays a role in it, you know, where it's not just like one of those things where people are slicing through it. You know, I love, I love Lord of the Rings, yeah. but we talked about those Uruk High. They were equipped in heavy plate armor. It would, they would have been yeah. and realistically in like real combat. That would have been a force that would have been hard to defeat because you couldn't Very get through. True. So. That's one of my top things and also one of my top favorite movies. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard you mention that one a few times. It's 
it, lo- it looks pretty epic, and to have that kind of realism in, in such a older classic thing like that too. Oh is, yeah, is pretty cool. I like seeing the realism and like I like kind of both ends of the spectrum. I like the the very fantasy yes. versions of stuff, but at the same time, every now and then, like I like to see the historically like meticulously accurate yes. stuff like that too to give you that sense of how you know serious some of those situations to be in could be. Yeah, and, and, and I know stuff. I've heard some people being like, "Well, that that armor was." Like that movie, I think is very realistic, and like the very like, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't understand why like they're just not cut. There's like two sides to the coin on this movie, which pisses me off a little bit. Is there are people that say they're like, well, the the like one of the fight scenes where they're where they're fighting and like the, he's he, during the duel before he you know yeah uh, John Falstaff has the talk with him. You know they're fighting and they get worn out pretty quickly. And I think David Machote did it on purpose, and they're like punching each other in armor. And then, you know, one of them eventually finds a chink in the armor with a dagger and stabs him in the armpit yeah. in like the weaker part. And that, that realistically happened quite a bit. You know, oh, they, yeah. they had those Rondell daggers and everything like that. But then you get the actual HEMA purists and like other armor purists who are like, well, they're wearing some type, you know, some of that armor was 14th century or that oh, some geez. of that. And, but here's the thing, like, it's still good. It makes a point of it. And I think it does a good job historically. And like the Battle of Agincourt, well, they didn't have the, the, the Longbowmen didn't have the, um, you know, didn't have the posts in with the spikes and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Yes. This movie is based on the, on, on the, the Shakespeare film and I love it for what it is. And I love, I love Joel Edgerton. I love the movie. I think as it is, it's, it's, it's pretty close to a perfect movie for me. So I think, I think both ends of it, it's pretty great. It's just one of those things where it doesn't seem to get the love it wants because people are so used to just gratuitous action right? without, you know, whatever this one is just gritty. Like, you know, people are getting drowned in mud as knights and stuff. Like, you know, it's not That's cool. pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's... Yeah. Go watch that one for yeah. sure. I Also, I like your internet voice too, by the way. Oh, the, do you? The internet, internet armor historian nerd yeah. voice. <laughs> that, that was it. You know, we love... Listen, I love you nerds. I, I like that stuff too. I wish I knew more about it and I think I know more than most people, like yeah. the general populace, but I'm definitely an amateur at it. And I think that is important. I would... And we do want to see... Right. We do want to see stuff like this. But I think you have to give the king the credit where it's due because I think they do a, a, you know, they definitely make combat feel they more scary and harrowing than most other medieval movies. They do a good job. Well, cool. Well, uh, kind of wrap up here. We'll just go through a, a kind of lightning round, go through a couple uh, honorable mentions here, some of the other ones that are, you know, worth mentioning, but just to keep this from dragging on too long. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'll just go through mine real quick and okay. kind of mention them and we'll go through yours. Uh, a couple other ones from the Matrix that I had was the scene where he goes to see the Oracle. Oh, beautiful. And, you know, she talks about, you know, it, it, it kind of uh, scene is known as kind of like the know thyself because she has the plaque above her door. That's one of the ones that um, I actually didn't think of until you, you had mentioned some of that people get tattoos of things. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any tattoos, but for, if I were to eventually get a tattoo, it would be that of that of know thyself in Latin that's above her door. I know I'm sure a lot of people have that tattoo, but yeah. I I've always just loved that. And it may be the fact instead of getting it as a tattoo, I might just get that as a wooden plaque mm. and hang up somewhere, you know, maybe maybe above the the podcast studio door. Ooh. Have it in there or something as some decoration. But that was that was always a, a big one of mine. Huge fan of yeah, I really like that scene. I like the Oracle in general. Yeah. And like the, he knocks over the vase and stuff. She says, "Don't worry about it." That was all. I, that always kind of made me laugh. Uh, but that, 
the uh, subway fight where he, him and uh, Agent Smith both fight down um, in the subway after they kind of, there's the helicopter crash and they, you know, saved Trinity and stuff after they uh, rescued Morpheus from capture. Mm. And so she makes it out and the little homeless man turns into Agent Smith. Agent Smith. And just that as a, as a, again, as a fight scene, like just the, the way it was filmed and stuff and they get the slow motion and I just, again, as a kid watching this, like that was one of the most epic fight scenes I had ever seen. I thought it was, I thought it was just really well done. And you get the kind of like he, uh, Neo gets kind of beat up and everything and, you know, it looks kind of grim for him, but he has the moment where he gets up and kind of does the flex and the dust flies off of him and he just refocuses and then he takes it to Agent Smith and ends up beating him yep and you get the 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 classic you know often you know and often duplicated you know come here yeah yeah you get that's where you get the infamous like yeah finger kind of yeah beckoning motion bring it to you i love the little throat the throat uh, Mm -hmm. choke with the the fingers extended just to choke him and stuff but yeah that was that's one of my favorite fight scenes for cinema for sure so that was another one and then also from the matrix at the end of the first one, after he gets shot by the Desert Eagle and dies, and the agents thought that they've won, but then, you know, Trinity gives him a kiss as the uh, Sentinels are about to pull up in the ship and go attack him. He comes back, and then, you know, the first time that he stops the bullets mid-flight, and he, it's when he realizes he's the one and has that moment, and he ends up actually being able to, you know, see the code for what it is and mm-hmm. these you know he becomes finally aware of what the matrix is and all that and he just has full ultimate control over it and at that point the agents are nothing it's kind of moving in slow motion for him he can he can defend an agent just with one arm kind of stuff and he ends up actually killing one of them by you know jumping into him i thought that was also another awesome scene from the matrix oh yeah well you know thank god the wachowskis when they did that one they you know back then especially like a lot of people weren't really good with bullet stuff. And so they actually use bullets instead of like an actual entire casing and shell yes. itself when the, in the slow motion. Thank God they used that. Yeah, no, I thought that was good. That would have been forever made fun of. Oh, yeah. Through, throughout cinematic history. Uh, to go a little bit off, but keep it with uh, Keanu Reeves, the scene from John Wick 2, mm. when he goes to get you know, suited up. And he goes, he's in there picking out his weapons and stuff, but the, the kind of terms they're using, you know, I need something bold and robust. Oh, yeah. And stuff, and he gives him a shotgun, a Benelli. Yeah. And then, you know, well, you try out the uh, Italian options, and he gives him, like, a Glock 34. Yeah. And stuff, and, you know, suiting up, and, you know, what would you like the suit lined with? <laughs> and he's tactical. Yeah. Like, that whole scene, just as from a, from a kind of a gear junkie, and, you know, and a, and a gun guy, like, that scene was just awesome. No, for it, sure. It's definitely worth a, an honorable mention. Um, but yeah, I really loved that one. John Wick. Um, one more, uh, uh, one from Lord of the Rings was uh, Gandalf, you know, another Gandalf speech, but where he's talking with Frodo, Frodo, Jesus, with Frodo <laughs> down in the mines of Moria, where, you know, they talk about Gollum and, you know, Frodo wishes he never, uh, the ring never came to him and stuff. But, uh, you know, Frodo says, you know, all, as do all who, you know, come to see such times mm-hmm. and stuff, but that's not for us to decide. All we can decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Yeah. And that was, I think, one of the best 
uh, well-written scenes again from uh, Tolkien. It just and like the way they get the music, it just the whole thing was just so well done. Music matters, folks. It matters a lot in these scenes, and it's one of those. You know, he mentions there's other forces at work besides you know those are the rule of evil, mm-hmm. and like. I, I, that was also, it's always kind of really resound with me. And just this whole thing about, you know, Bilbo was meant to find the ring and thus so, so were you. And it's this kind of reassurance of everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, put your, put your faith in, you know, something above just what your own little brain can figure out. So that was, that's another one of my favorites. That. Um, I had two more. Uh, one of them is from, Ong Bak Two. Oh, okay. Another fight scene. Another, sure. yeah, another epic fight scene um, with Tony Jaw, which I, I just recently saw. They released a trailer for The Expendables, like five or six, mm-hmm. and Tony Jaw's in it now, which I do appreciate because those Expendables movies, you know, are just a culmination of action film or action yeah. heroes from multiple different time periods. But he's finally earned his spot amongst the greats. Yep. And this one is really for that the choreography. Like, the choreography in his movies, in these Ong Bak movies, is so, like, next level in my mind, in, like, the martial art uh, aspects of it, and how he's able to, like, there's some very, like, Jackie Chan level of, like, using elements around you, you know, props and different things to take out the bad guys and stuff, but whenever I watch this, like, I think I had seen this scene, and that made me go watch the movies, because I was just so fascinated with the choreography of it. Yeah, if you guys aren't watching foreign films, you're missing out. You know, there's a lot of really good ones out there, you know, um, that you're missing some, you're definitely missing some things. You get a lot of, like, great Muay Thai. Like, the whole thing is, like, Muay Thai style of fighting and stuff. You get a lot of, like, knees and elbows and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was just a... One of my favorite fight scenes from there. And then my last one, surprise, another fight scene. Oh, no. And this was actually oh. from a movie I hadn't seen until recently, was The Kingsman. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, from your recommendation on that, and it was from the, the first one, uh, you can, the, the scene, you know, the term it is, uh, manners maketh men. Yeah. Whenever he first kind of, you know, shows what he's capable of in a bar, like all the boys are picking on uh, what's his name? And you know this older spy gentleman just kind of blows all their minds. And again, the choreography in these movies are always so cool and mm-hmm. so excellent. And like the slow motion that they throw into it and stuff, and it's just so over the top. It was just, it was a really cool fight scene to watch. I thought. Oh yeah. It great movies. The the Kingsmen are, are a fun, like, you know, spy thriller, not even spy thriller. I mean, they, they, they are, but they're more action oriented. This is what I talk about too. A movie where I, you go into the very non-realistic yes. aspect, but it's just purely for the fun and yeah. the thrill of it, you know, way beyond any kind of James Bond mission impossible type stuff. It's, it's like full fantasy spy movie. Yeah. And, and I would say this one too, the first movie, I really like the, um, the scene where they're in the church and you have like, Oh yeah. Uh, what, what, that's what a, it that's another good one. Yeah. Uh, I forgot about that, but that's also an excellent one. Yeah. But yeah, those are, 
Those are my honorable mentions there real quick. Okay. So I'll go through uh, my honorable mentions real fast. Um, so I would say the scene from, I re- the, the, also the Netflix. I mean, Netflix has had some pretty good stuff. The, when they redid All Quiet on the Western Front in German, I really like it. Um, very good movie. Shows how bad World War One was. I think that's a very important thing. I think World War One was one of those mm. times where it was you a had this- savage. Well, yeah, you had this romantic Victorian era notion of what conflict was, you know, and, and, and then you go into modern world with machine guns and artillery. And I think it was, you know, you still had soldiers, I think it was like 20 or 40,000 French soldiers died the first day because the German artillery was able to hone in on them because they had red pants, you know, so it's one of those things. And then you have. Um, so in the first scene of that one, I just like it because they, they take the uniform off of a dead, uh, Austrian soldier or German soldier. And then they, it goes through this whole, you see this whole cycle of the, of the uniform getting like re done all the way to the end when it's issued to our protagonist. And, you know, he finds the name in it and they're like, oops, whoopsies. You know, uh, that's a good scene where there's just like, it goes through these various stages of washing and just disgustingness to the excitement of the new soldier who is excited to finally put it on. And, um, you know, yeah, love that scene. That's uh, awesome. Also sticking with World War One, nineteen seventeen. I thought it was a great movie. I think the Is movie that the one that's all one shot. It's filmed to look I like keep, it's all I one keep shot. Meaning to watch that, but I keep forgetting about it. Uh, it me amazing. And the, me and my uh, wife were talking about that uh, as well. That I really want to go and and just watch it purely for like that cinematic aspect of it. Yeah, it's one of those things where there's a scene where they're clearing a bunker and they're you know they've they're they're going in. The Germans have supposedly withdrawn. And they've gone into German trenches by themselves as him and one other guy on this mission to like deliver a message. And um, just the, the clearing in it, like as they're clearing the, the scene, like they're clearing the building. It's just interesting to see that in the World War I kit and the way that it's filmed, that fluid motion, the film, like the cinematography on that is phenomenal. Um, huge fan. The speaking of all one shot, you you talked about Ong Bak and those things. One of my favorite foreign film, like or foreign Asian film fight scenes, is actually from uh, Old Boy, and it's the hallway fight scene. And it, it's 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 a little, it's very well choreographed, but it is, um, it's just more brutal, I guess, than like um, the. Uh, like, like the, like, it's not, it's choreographed, but it's, it's just like street fight. You know, you hear the sound of skin on skin type of thing filmed all in one shot. And it's also not very realistic, but I, the, there is some like weight to everything. Like everything seems very, um, yeah. I, I bet you this scene, I just looked it up here. I bet you this is where daredevil that uh, Netflix daredevil got that idea from. Cause they did the same thing in a hallway like that. Well, a lot of places, I mean, Repo Men did a, did a take on this as well. There was a, there's a Repo Men where it's almost, it's not all one shot, but it's a very, you know, you've got like a burn ship, like uncle singing, like the burn my shadow song. And they're getting in a fight in that one. I really like that movie. And it's the same type of thing, but this one's just one, you know, he's got a hammer and they've got sticks and they're all pounding on him. He gets stabbed at one point and then he comes up and then, you know, he slowly beats these guys down and he's just taking them on one at a time in this narrow corridor. And, um, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, one of my other favorite scenes would be the Northman. Love that movie. Huge fan. You know, you're talking, you know, Hamlet or, you know, Hamlet essentially in 
in Viking times. It's like Viking Hamlet and the Northman on the raid scene. I love the kind of single shot that you get with them when they're on the long ship, you know, and they just shoot one of the dudes on the boat. And then when they actually come up to the fort and um, the main character catches the spear from one of the centuries and then turns and throws it back at him and then they climb up and it's just a very savage fighting scene when he jumps off the top of the battlements and cuts into one of the horsemen. It's just phenomenal. And it's, I don't know. I just, the whole movie itself is beautiful. Well done. I like that they, they purposefully, you know, with scars guard, they purposefully uh, ignored um, some of the tropey things of like the Viking stuff where they were, as far as them being in England, you know, they've, they've, we've seen the raid on Lindisfarne a million times, and this is actually a more Slav versus like Eastern European Slav type of thing. You know, it's yeah, um, very similar. That's another movie that I, I, I keep meaning to watch, but I just haven't taken the time to do it. It's, too. it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's, it's very well done. And a lot of scenes in it actually remind me of like some of the cinematography that you see from like the Michael Fassbender, uh, Macbeth movie. Right. And, you know, this is a savage, it's a very savage movie very um viking mythos and you know it's another one of those things where like well that's not 100% real you know you know viking being a viking was a profession it was not like a, a nationality you know and in this one he plays like a berserker and you know he gets after it you know then he's got his own revenge story essentially that he's going after but the last of the Mohicans, the ending scene. I mean, there's a battle scene that I really like, ambushed by uh, by the Mohawk soldiers or whatever. Um, and then the ending of the last of the Mohicans, where you have the kiss or whatever playing in the background, and they're, you know, Daniel Day Lewis and everybody getting after it. Like that last seven minutes and thirty seconds is just fire to me. You know, and it's filmed right here in Western North Carolina at McDowell yeah. County. It's a lot of it, you know, it takes place in the Adirondack Mountains, but it's filmed in the up by wise, you know, up in the Linville Gorge, essentially, yeah. um, where we've talked about seeing the Brown Mountain Lights. So seeing the scenery feels like home. That does. That's wild. And then the actual combat in it itself is like just great. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the end, the very end is great as well. Uh, also huge fan. I can't go without talking about Dune. Yeah. Uh, yep. one of my favorite movies recently. I can't wait for this summer for it to come back for the next movie to come out. I'm looking so much forward to that. Um, I would say two of my favorite scenes from that though, are the arrival of the emperor's folks for the change, uh, yep. where we see the ship come down. We see the pageantry. We see that kind of like feudal aspect of like the house of Trades and the pomp and circumstance of this, like, pseudo Roman pseudo Roman Catholic church type of scene. And then the arrival of house Atreides on Arrakis with the bagpipes in the oh, background yeah. playing cool. the Atreides theme. That was really and, cool. You know, Atreides, Atreides. And, you know, love that scene. I would also like to add in there Waterloo. It's probably another movie you've not seen before. Nope. Uh, we have a Napoleon movie coming out with Joaquin Phoenix here mm. soon. And, um, you know, I've, I've already said I'm, I'm kind of an, a simp towards like Napoleonic era cavalry. I think that kind of stuff in infantry, I think those tactics are super interesting and it's just like the pageantry, the colors, the, you know, the, the fighting was very great. And it's one of my favorite movies, Waterloo. And there's a scene in it where they also use thousands upon thousands of like Russian soldiers as extras. Wow. And 
um, there's a scene where they, it's the charge of the Scots Grays. And I think it's one of the first uses of slow motion. It's a very early usage of slow motion in, in cinema history where these horses are charging and then you get this hyper speed thing and then it slows down and you get like this kind of like slow music with it as you see them charging in. Um, beautiful, beautiful scene. That's cool. And then last but not least it would be, um, cause I've got so many I could have. I'll just yeah. do this is Zulu with the, like, you know, very old, older movie with Michael Caine as a young man. And he is, it is the British Alamo essentially. Like I said, I like those kind of like last stand type things, except yeah. the British win in the end on this one. Uh, at least they went at Rourke's Drift. They did not win at the Battle of Islawanda. And in this one, the Zulu soldiers come. And this is another one of those movies where both sides are respected. I feel like a lot of modern movies, they have to demonize the other side so much to make you know you cheer for one side or the other. In this one, the Zulus are respected. like They're treated like a, a proper enemy, but they also have their humanity to them mm. and vice versa with the British soldiers. And at the very end, you know, they've already had some conflict in the very end, you get this like long war chant from the Zulu soldiers. And, um, I forget the other guy who plays another officer with Michael Caine gets his Welsh soldiers to start singing and they start singing men of Harlech. And, hmm. um, there's this, you know, charge and you get Michael Caine, you know, at 300 yards, volley fire present, you know, they've got the Martini Henry's and it's this last stand and they do it. And it's a great job. You know, I think that conflict in particular there was some almost 20 victoria crosses given to the, to the defenders of Rourke's drift which is like the equivalent of the united states medal of honor right Jeez. and so and then color sergeant Bourne, who's one of the guys in this movie you know he's just this stoic dude in real life he was a smaller more diminutive guy but he still was a very proper guy and i just love seeing color sergeant Bourne in this like he's just very stoic he's like this very typical british victorian era sergeant where he's got some humanity to him but he's also very proper and by the books and you know it's just great movie great scene nice very epic so well cool well there you go that's some of our favorite movie scenes yeah like i'm sure again you know we could go on forever about that and stuff we yes. may Okay. Have a part two, you know, later on down the road or something. If we can yes. come up with some more, that might be fun. Hopefully, we do. Hopefully, we keep getting good new good scenes. Yeah, I mean, yeah that's the thing. And I hope, yeah, hopefully, more movies come out that have scenes in them that would make it on our list. Yeah, you know, I'd be excited to see that. Uh, well, alrighty. Um, again, if you have any of your favorite scenes, you know, things that stood out to you, you can send those to us on our Instagram at Geek ETC Podcast. Um, also on our Twitter at Geek ETC Podcast. And if you want to uh, check out some of our other shows we've mentioned and listen to the podcast, those are available on every major podcast platform and on YouTube. You can look up our uh, YouTube channel there, search at one word, Geek ETC Podcast. Uh, give us a subscribe there and uh, give us a like if you enjoy uh, watching the podcasts on YouTube. I know a lot of people like that as opposed to, you know, the regular podcast. It's, there's not a video component necessarily, but another place to listen to it, which is cool. And uh, like you mentioned earlier, uh, if you enjoyed what you heard and you want to hear more of it, uh, go support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash geekETCpodcast. That's right, guys. And remember, episodes come out every single Wednesday. We put them out there. We try to stay consistent. We want to be there for you. One other thing I would ask, you know, we try to be viewer supported. You guys don't have to give us any money like Ben or Tom or, you know, our, our, our two current patrons who we love very much. I would just ask if you would, if you listen to this, just all you have to do is just go 
wherever you're getting this at and just hit either if you're watching it on YouTube, hit the like button just for algorithm purposes. Yeah. Or just click five stars. You don't have to write any words down. I don't ask that. But if you'll just do like two presses of your thumb for us, yeah. I would be super happy with that. And like, we would love to. Give it a like on five star on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or like I said, wherever you listen, give us a rating. All right. And like Josh said, you know, geekyetcpod.com, find our show notes. If there's any of these things like, no, I'm interested in this, you know, I want to see this unboxing or, or whatever, please go on there, click on the links. We'll have YouTube videos. We'll have links to the actual Wikipedias or something. I'm sure there, Josh does a lot of painstaking effort to make sure our show notes are there for you guys to see. Yeah. And like I said, you know, if we want to keep getting these things better and we want to have these things where we like them, you know, and we're like, well, actually, the, the uh, 14th century armor. Hey, geeks fight better together. Hey, be, be the guy that when when the director is going and searching a YouTube video, he sees this and he's like, OK, I want to make it most realistic video ever. I'm going to go on the Scala Gladiatorias or whoever's page. And I'm yeah. going to I'm going to look at this and I'm going to try to make it realistic, you know, so geeks fight better together. We keep demanding the best and hopefully we'll get it. There you go. No matter what your favorite movie scene is. Always remember to keep geeking out. 